0: This is the Dreadful Podcast on TV Podcast Industries and we're back with Penny Dreadful Season 3 Episode 6 No Beast So Fierce with Petty Dreadful Season 3, Episode
1: 6, No Beast So Fierce. I'm one of your hosts, Derek. Hello there, fellow Darklings, fellow fierce Darklings. Mm -hmm. Uh, I am one of your other hosts, John.
0: Let's jump straight into this discussion about Episode 6, No Beast So Fierce, once again directed by Paco Cabezas. I'm really looking forward to seeing what he does with the Petty Dreadful City of Angels. I don't know how many episodes he's getting, but definitely looking forward to seeing that first one, because that's going to establish the whole dynamic of how that series is going to work. So hopefully he's done a good job out there.
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, i really enjoyed uh, what he's been doing with the last couple of episodes. Mm-hmm. So, um yeah, I can't wait to see his take on the 1930s City of Angels. Yes, yeah, that'll be really interesting. Uh, this episode was written once again by Andrew
0: Hinderaker, this time with Christy Wilson-Cairns, who was also a staff writer on this season of Penny Dreadful, as I mentioned before. Uh, recently, Christy wrote the movie 1917. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, that's big. It is massive movie, uh, and and working with Sam Mendes, who is an executive producer on Penny Dreadful as well. So keeping those connections alive uh, all this time after after their work on Penny Dreadful together. Yeah, great stuff, yeah.
1: John. Do you want to give us the summary for this episode of Penny Dreadful? Sure. Miss Vanessa Ives seeks new help as she now knows who she is up against in the form of Dracula. The beast from the east, dare I say it. (laughs) Ethan's head-to-head with his father is interrupted by Sir Malcolm, but also as new guests show up for dinner at the Talbot family residence, where tempers flare at the dinner table. Lily leads more women as she builds her army of ladies of the evening. Victor and Dr. Jekyll perfect the dose of the serum to change Lily into a pain-free being. Justine, meanwhile, oversteps her boundary and causes Dorian to question the whole endeavour.
0: Interesting seeds as uh, tempers are flaring on two continents. Yes, <laughs> definitely. And the return of Vanessa SI in this episode. Yes, good to see her back. Yes, definitely. And, and an introduction to a very interesting new character as well. Let's get into all of the big moments from this episode. John, what's your big moment from Season 3, Episode 6?
1: My big moment is a dinner at the Talbots. Although, quite frankly, I think it is a dinner party that I would rather not attend. Definitely. Uh, yes, the skeletons really are taken out of the closet. There is treachery. There is a hellish grace. Lead us into temptation. Uh, there's guns. There is the return of a nightcomer in the form of Hecate, mm-hmm. and uh, dare I say it, it all leaves a little bit of a bad taste in the mouth and bloodstains on the napkins. And um, yeah, this really is um, the dining table shootout. um yeah. and it, it really uh, finishes off a lot of characters here. It certainly does. Um, yeah. But it, it's all kind of set up with right at the start of this episode, Inspector Rusk with. With uh, Marshall Ostow uh, coming to the, the Talbot residence um, and with the cards ultimately stacked against uh, the two of them, Inspector Russ goes, you are all under arrest. Yes. Uh, and it's it just leaves it there and moves to London. But we come back to a very awkward dinner table uh, where you have Hecate and Ethan on one side, you have Jared at the top of the, the dinner table, you have Inspector Rusk and Marshall Osto on the other, and Sir Malcolm at the other end of the dinner table. Mm-hmm. And it's all fairly uneasy and a little awkward, but yeah. a nice bit of T-Bone steak is there for everyone. <laughs> um, it's very good of them, really, to be honest, because you think about, you know, the last episode, we had everybody
0: chasing across the desert for days upon days, and nobody has enough water to get them to- the other side of the desert, um, and you know they get there. What do they expect them to do? You know, arrest the guys, and then they have that massive trudge right back across the deserts after having you know not filled up. Absolutely. So you know what?
1: A, what a good host he, he <laughs> is! <laughs> a good Tara host, is.
0: yeah, absolutely. But I did have this written in my notes as the red wedding of Penny Dreadful. <laughs>
1: yeah, that is not far off yeah. it to be we, honest. We
0: do lose some quite big characters uh, in the episode, and it comes as quite a surprise because this is a very gentlemanly dinner for a while. Until, really, I'd say the twist or the, the change in the scene is really where Jared uh, tells Ethan that he's sitting in the seat that his brother Paul sat in just before he was murdered, and he forces him to say grace. And it's at that moment, finally, when Ethan is about to do it. I think the, the, Sir Malcolm um, attempts to step in with this volatile situation to say, no, I'll, I'll say grace, but we have the opposite of grace. What would be the opposite of grace to say at the dinner table? Ungrace. Is it? Is it like a... Um, it's like
1: the... It's some grace, I suppose. Right. I don't know, um, but it is yes. All the the words of the grace are turned from being um, saintly, godly, mm-hmm. uh, good into devilish, uh, evil, uh, and and the rest of it. Yeah, but, yeah. It all kind of kicks off really because yes, the big. Um the big thing around that dinner table is Jared Talbot and his son Ethan Talbot um and, and what happens. And Malcolm really does try to persuade um his dad that he is a good man. And this is where then everything starts to uh, be brought up. Um and you, you almost have this awkwardness of Inspector Rusk and uh, Marshal Osto, who are almost um, looking in on, on this domestic that's yeah. going on. Um, but ultimately, it's Marshal Osto that is offed, uh to begin with, uh, because he really does say that you are going to be arrested, you know. Um, and Jared just pulls a gun and shoots him in the forehead straight mm-hmm. off, as then they all begin to tuck into their steak so yeah it it is and and the dinner table is surrounded by jared's um men Mm -hmm. all with guns so um you know you you are there how is ethan going to do this will he won't he um kind of uh make his attack here and there is that great camera moment where um he it it you see Hecate next to Ethan. It comes around to Ethan. You lose Hecate. And when it goes to the back, you have the night comer. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you see, uh, Sir Malcolm and everyone's surprise as she takes a few of them out and Ethan goes to get his dad. Yeah. But that's the thing. The shootout ultimately, uh, pours into, um, the, the family chapel where the massacre originally uh, took place. But, um, I suppose we, you know, importantly we lose inspector rusk you know there is this standoff uh with him ethan uh but with hecate also advancing and and rusk has to try and do something so he is there with the gun at hecate uh ethan with the gun at him and he he warns that if he moves he will kill hecate but hecate is shot here i I was a little surprised that the gun worked so so quickly on her because I, i think guns were used in the witch's uh, house back in season two yeah. um, to little or no effect, but it, it may have been more that they were too quick to uh, be hit by them. Maybe. I, th- I think it was more that, but ultimately... It did seem like a real surprise yeah, to dispatch her that way. Yeah. I- Inspector Rusk um does uh, get the fatal shot in on Hecate, so we lose Hecate as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I suppose back in the desert we do see some Alchem going to shoot her. So I, I think it's that they... um. They're not immortal in that sense. So uh, Hecate is killed, and obviously with the gun trained on Hecate, Ethan fires off and and kills uh, Inspector Rusk here at the dinner table.
0: Yeah, and I was thinking about this because last episode we had um, the kind of proclamation from Inspector Rusk that he was giving up all the things that he was bound to and was willing to shoot Ethan in the back. So the character that we followed from season two... As the, as Inspector Rush, the man on the right side of the law, um, he's come to this, effectively to the estate, uh, with no bounds now. He's willing to do whatever it takes to take down Ethan and it's gone far beyond the lawman that he used to be. So it's almost like he has also lost his soul on this pilgrimage to take down ethan um so while we have lost him in this episode it feels like we kind of lost his soul last episode
1: yeah definitely and i I think the 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 really nice turn here i suppose is that you know in that standoff inspector ruska saying you know what are you what are you it, there's something he needs to know. He, he's kind of accepted, as we've seen, that there could be some supernatural element to this. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he, he's, he's never given the answer as Hecate rushes to kill him. He kills Hecate and Ethan kills Rusk. Yeah. Um, I think in the meantime, Malcolm is um, trying to fend off a number of jared's men Mm -hmm. um and it looks like malcolm is about to be a goner but he is saved by ketney who has in in the words of samalcolm which i really liked i I love this dynamic between samalcolm and Mm ketney he goes i knew you'd be too mean to die (laughs) um just you know ketney is this persistent soul yeah Which I kind of thought Inspector Rusk was as well. And I'm slightly saddened by Inspector Rusk going. I I think it would have been quite interesting to have seen his character go on but i definitely see you know the situation that they put him in uh in terms of that triangulation of shot uh he could only take out one and he took out hecate yeah um who who came upon him Um i but- think i'm just really surprised both of them are gone in this scene you know but
0: i think they're trying to roll this towards the end of the season you know and the end of the entire series as, as well as as we know this was supposed to be a three season Uh, arc for the penny dreadful storyline so um there are some peripheral characters here that if you're keeping them on board for the end of the season what are you uh, what are you going to be doing with them as we get towards the end of it but i think because we had um hecate and ethan forming their bond last episode that they were now going to be working together effectively on the path of evil it was interesting that this quickly afterwards hecate's gone and Ethan is effectively left with his three fathers as the only people left alive. We have Malcolm, uh, Jared, and Ketney now in the same house under the same roof, yeah. and they're the only people really left alive that of
1: consequence in yeah. this house. You know? Absolutely, and um, but this shootout uh, from the dinner table ends up at uh, in in another on another table. Ultimately, the altar of God mm-hmm. in um the family chapel, and um you know, there's big shootout here certainly ethan knows how his dad will defend mm-hmm. th- this position and so him along with some Malcolm Ketney do uh, manage to um take down the defenses and yeah. it is that great moment again of carried forward really from the end of the last episode mm-hmm. um will ethan do it will he not you know brian cox utters the words are you going to gun down your father in the house of God? You know, there's a real taunting um, about how uh, Jared Talbot is speaking to his son here. Absolutely. Uh, it's weird, isn't it? Cause yeah.
0: I really don't like Jared Talbot. I don't like the character of Jared Talbot, but there's no reason not to like him. Um, he effectively has had all of his family slaughtered by the Apaches who came and attacked his house with the help of his son. And he's, he's, Goading his son into killing him because he also wants to die almost.
1: Yeah, I think know? it is that.
0: But I really don't like him like, as a as a man, probably because we've spent so much time with Ethan. Yeah. Um <laughs> that I find him a horrible person anyway. So I'm kind of happy about the situation at the end. I also love that sequence at the start of that fight because we have Jared calling out from the chapel going, I'm in here alone. You come in alone, Ethan, and we'll sort this out man to man as he's putting his men all yeah, around the, exactly. the chapel. But of course Ethan's not swayed by that. And then we have the wonderful entrance from Ketney through the wall to take out two of two of his men as Malcolm and Ethan come in in the same partnership that we saw back in season one when yeah. they went into the nest of vampires. This is the nest of Ethan's father's men that they're yeah. taking out in exactly the same way so
1: it's really it's a great it's yeah. a
0: great scene but it, it's i it just find it fascinating to myself what it says about me that i'm watching jared waiting for him to be killed probably because i spent more time with the other characters
1: but there's nothing wrong with what jared's doing here um, no absolutely and but it it, it does um yeah I, I, I the problem is both of them want to die mm-hmm. in, in in that sense but ethan does Pull back. He doesn't shoot um, his, his father, yeah. um, but you get the million dollar moment because as he's walking away, he's still taunting his son because he does want him to turn around and shoot him. Yeah. And of course, in comes Sir Malcolm with his um, firearm and just a bullet through the middle of the head. Oh my goodness. Um, and just that whole look on um Sam Malcolm's face of, will you just shut up Absolutely. and lay down dead? Yeah. And it, it's a great, great uh, money shot. In Absolutely. That sense. It, it
0: feels like Timothy Dalton's Bond again. Uh, remember, the, the the version of Timothy Dalton's Bond that we saw back in the 80s for his two movies was a much darker version of the Bond. I think it's been taken on a lot more with Daniel Craig's Bond, yeah. someone that is willing to use the license to kill that he has to to actually yeah. end... A, a villain which is something that the previous bonds wouldn't have done um, absolutely and pierce brosnan's bond didn't really do as much you saw it with timothy dalton in fact his baby was less skilled that's why it popped into my <laughs> head um, but you saw that that he is this person that will put an end to someone if he feels that he is rightful in doing so yeah um what jared was trying to get from ethan throughout this was ethan proving that he is the evil man that that Jared believes he is and justifying his own hatred for his own son by him proving to him that he'd be willing to kill his own father under the eyes of God effectively Uh, and for him not to have that moment is almost as bad as Rusk travelling to the other end of the earth to try and find who Ethan is and what Supernatural being it is that he's been facing down and not getting the answer to that before he dies as well. So two unanswered questions for two major dead characters in this episode.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, but it, it is, um, a really. Great piece of action from the dinner table into mm-hmm. the chapel with so much tension, emotion um, and a great payoff uh, at the end yeah. uh, for me. So I, I thought this was really good. But Definitely. as I say, I wouldn't be trotting over to the Talbot's uh, for dinner anytime soon Definitely. if that's how their dinner parties <laughs> end up hopefully not every time i said the uh, the body count is massive (laughs) absolutely and and also just quickly coming back to 007 dare i say it um this is my view Um, Timothy Dalton was ahead of his time in his portrayal of Bond. I love his two movies. Um, And, yeah, I think you see that if he was doing it now as uh, Daniel Craig, people would be much more accepting of it. So uh, I'm glad that he got his double O moment here in taking out Jared
0: Talbot. Without a doubt, I think at the time, and not to go into Bond too much, but I think at the time going from A View to a Kill, which is a fairly flamboyant um, Roger Moore Bond film <laughs> going from that into License to Kill you know Roger Moore was way beyond it's the age it's a 180 degree turn it is it that way. certainly yeah. but he was way beyond the age to play that 007 and going into Timothy Dalton being this kind of uh, difficult Bond um, probably didn't play very well I didn't play very well at the time I was alive I remember it yeah. <laughs> um, but he was a fantastic
1: bond yeah and of course as well he does a mean animated hedgehog and supermarket manager or should i say supermarche manager <laughs> he is a slasher of prices after he all yes. is. Um, <laughs> that is such a great film hot fuzz
0: <laughs> excellent <laughs> anyway uh, way too many great simply dalton performances mostly after his time on penny and dreadful and this the show did set up yeah. um some great roles for him in the in the, in the future i think um I'm going to go over to another very uncomfortable scene in the episode. <laughs> um, Justine um, and oh, Dorian yeah. and Lily. Uh, I have this written down as for my point as, uh, Justine doesn't know her place, or is it Dorian that doesn't know his? Well, wow. um, It was a question that we had from episode one of this season and, you know, kind of following on from the end of last season. Lily has developed as a leader of women to take out the men of London. And we were wondering, you know... Other than Dorian being a supernatural being and her being a supernatural being, what's the connection and when will the connection break? And that's kind of what we see in this episode. We see him kind of saying to her, you know, the two of us could just walk away from this and live for eternity together. And Lily saying, but that's not what I want. Yeah, he, She's trying to create a proper uprising of the women of London, the downtrodden women of London who have lived the same life that she has. And if Dorian doesn't figure into that, he may be on the spiky end of uh, of Justine's blade at the very least. And um, that moment where you have Lily training the women of the night to how they should be able to take out their johns or take out their uh, the people who are soliciting the sex from them. Um, and then she shows it on Dorian and then Justine comes in and is millimetres away <laughs> yeah. from stabbing Dorian in the throat. She got um, crazy
1: eyes. She really She did. really does. You know, she
0: even calls out to uh, Lily, do you want to see him drown in his own blood? You know? And Lily's response to it being, but then who would everybody else practice on? Is kind of the, the <laughs> response, the only way she can yeah. calm Justine down almost, because Justine is completely worked up. She's seen people like Dorian. Remember, as I, I think I described him before, as this kind of really cocky college guy, who's got all the good looks, got all the women... And at this stage, he was probably paying for hookers every week. We almost see Justine refer to his first meeting with Brona, where he took photographs of her. And Justine describes it. You take photographs of these people, these hookers that you hire, to pleasure yourself afterwards. You're the, exactly what's wrong with men in this city, you know? And you're seeing this two of them going almost head-to-head with each other. Um, it's really interesting because yeah. I don't know where it's going right now. I can't remember where it's going right now, but... I feel like if there's one person that's going to kill the immortal Dorian, it's going to be Justine.
1: Well, certainly Dorian does need to stop volunteering to be the demonstration <laughs> yeah. mannequin for killing people, I I would kind say. of have the feeling that um, Lily
0: could use one of the other women of the night as practice because nobody would kill them right
1: yeah i mean i th-
0: or has she told them all that dorian is invincible or invulnerable and he will come back from the dead if they kill him is that i, what's I, I
1: don't think we yeah we don't know that i mean first off i i think justine plays the intensity here oh, yeah. really well i mean she is um she is the acolyte she is the um the extreme acolyte who will... She believes in this cause from Lily. And this is why I think that not only do I feel that Dorian is justified in, in feeling a, a little bit uh, nervous about how this whole endeavour is going uh, and the the level of buy-in of uh, Lily's Forgotten Ladies um the army of these Forgotten Ladies. and mm-hmm. um, But I also wonder because, you know, Lily does effectively back up dorian here to some extent and later on mm-hmm. we see her doing the same with victor it's kind of two times here where justine has been denied by lily yeah. to do something that she feels would be meaningful um and i just wonder whether lily ultimately could be putting herself within the crosshairs of justine because justine is so um bought into this and that she sees Ultimately, the inherent hypocrisy and in what Dorian is doing there. Absolutely. Um, whereas for Lily, she probably does as well, but she also realizes that the the means here of having Justine as well as Victor that they are useful along the way. Mm-hmm. Victor to effectively reanimate uh, anyone that dies along <laughs> the way, I suppose. Maybe. Yeah, maybe. Um, and Dorian gives her the the premises the mm. the ability to do this just in it here it is truly terrifying it It absolutely. shows absolutely pure ideology commitment and that fervor for what they should be doing that goes beyond the rational Um she's a true acolyte as i say yeah uh, and she it makes her truly uh frightening and she it's played so well that you feel dorian's unease you understand that um that he, you know and and in a sense th- there was part of me feeling that yeah i i completely agree with uh, Dorian here but at the same time not only is he feeling threatened by her but you know maybe he's just feeling a little small that actually this party that he's doing is no longer about him mm-hmm. it's not about him and he's not really seeing um, a way that he can um get out of this in an easy way. And certainly uh, with the capture of Victor when he comes to try and change um, Lily with the serum. Again, you see Justin gagging to kill uh, Victor. Um, But Dorian is very quick to seize on Victor um, and to advocate that he shouldn't be killed here and then. Again, probably bringing on Justine's disapproval, but also um, make sure that he is trying to align with Victor so that maybe yeah. he, he has a way out There's here. Some kind of ally there, definitely. You know, it, it,
0: it's a really delicate balance that Lily is playing uh, between what's going on here. You know, she I love that moment where she kind of reveals her history. She reveals that she knows everything that happened yeah, to Brona and lives with her forever. She remembers it like it happened right now, And she points at Justine saying, and that's why I know how she feels that way, because I still feel exactly the way she does. What Dorian has missed in the transition from getting together first off with Lily up until now is the conversation that's been going on with her and everybody else that she's been getting on board is, do you remember those men that hurt you? We'll kill them. Do you remember those men that hurt you? There are other men out out there like that every other man is like that. And Dorian seems to have missed that transition between yeah. those those five or six people that were involved in hurting you up until now, which is every man is like that. And Dorian's in the background kind of clapping along going, yeah, I totally agree with your point of view. Yep, I'm right right behind you. Oh no, you now are saying all men are bad. I'm a man. Uh-oh, I need to get out of here. <laughs> he just seems to have missed that full transition between this group becoming a formidable force in London to now becoming a cult Possibly going on the side of Justine, who is much more fervent in that pursuit of all men are bad than uh, than Lily is. So, yeah, I, I I'm I worry for Dorian. Uh, there is possibly an out, as you say, with uh, with Victor coming over, um, trying to it's not very well put, try to cure uh, Lily of all of her hurt. I don't think she was ever going to accept that. You know, I, I, again, I love the response from lily to no, to that where she's saying but it's taken me all of that hurt to become who i am and now i'm going to make sure that never happens to anybody else that's a a really important thing for the yes, character of lily definitely but I, I like that there's a possible arrangement here between victor and dorian i just don't imagine of all of the characters that we see in this show i don't imagine the two of them surviving the end of season three yeah <laughs> but we'll see again it's something that's uh, very distant to my memory is uh, the last three episodes of the season.
1: But this is really just the genesis of this happening. So mm-hmm. I, like, I would say the next few episodes is going to be a little dodgy for Dorian. Definitely. Um, or dare I say it, Lily, as I say, I, I just seen Will we'll be going, why are you stopping us from killing these men, Lily, like Dorian or Victor? Because these are the men that you're telling us that do need to be got rid Mm -hmm. of um they're hiding there or they're in plain sight within this organization that you're creating so i just wonder whether justine may also direct um her um fervor against lily because yeah certainly in this episode she defends two people that justine wants to kill
0: yeah exactly exactly i think it might be time
1: for dorian to rent out that
0: uh Upper, upper flat in, uh, in
1: in Paris, maybe? <laughs> yeah, he needs yeah. to move to his country home in the Lake District, I think. I, think. I yes. think he does. Any notes
0: for this episode? I thought this one had a lot more going on with all of the characters. Last episode seemed quite focused on uh, on what was going on in America. Uh, whereas this episode, while it did have a lot going on uh, with the Talbot residents in America, there was a lot of other stuff going on in the UK. Um, John Clare visiting his son. Um, it's, a, it's a small scene in it, but... Wow, how powerful yeah, is that moment when absolutely. his son is is kind of saying, oh, daddy, you're here finally to take care of me. I always knew he'd come back. And then his eyes open and he sees the face of John Clare yeah. and screams the house down. Um, it's heartbreaking. It, it really is. How, it, how it's played. And, and John Clare crying in the street outside uh, after being shunned by another person uh, is really.
1: Exactly. It's It's the. Yeah it it it's the curse of the creature mm-hmm. um and, and it's really touching um as well you know are you an angel he thinks yeah. that he's he he's uh, heading up to heaven really mm-hmm. um and we know from um when he was the orderly he didn't really believe in heaven he goes no and Then it becomes really sad as he wakes up and sees this creature over him and he's scared and he screams out and then the impact that has on John Clare. So it, like, it's, it's phenomenally good, really. I think another thing we do need to do a shout out is, um, you know, Mr. Lyle is effectively, it's his, it's his swan song. It's Mm -hmm. his farewell as he heads on an expedition to Cairo where, um, The the laws there are maybe a little more relaxed, or it's the culture is more open to people like him. So there will be an extension to his time in in, in Egypt. Sad farewell to it it is. He's a great character, and I think it would have been difficult how to have him more fully in this season. But I've certainly missed him because Mm -hmm. he's always provided very good relief um as well as being that kind of expert in the room around all things around the occult and uh Egypt. So yeah. it's a nice touching moment as well where he goes, think of me only when you dance and she goes, I'll have to dance more often, yes, which be. I think is really, really yeah. nice. And he, the
0: reason he's going in the episode, because it, it's it's something that probably stood out to me more because of the rewatch as well. Um it, it's something that that she's talking about with Dracula's plan to get her separated from everybody uh, that's around, getting getting her separated from all of her real friends that she needs to be in contact with, people that she knows and people that love her and will take care of her, and she has no one left. She's lost contact with uh, with Victor. She's lost contact with uh, Ethan, who's gone over to America. Sir Malcolm's gone with him, um, so she has none of her core group of people that were around her, and yeah. now Mister Lyle is also leaving. We have that scene with Vanessa trying to find someone who's a friend and she goes to Dr. Seward, which I think is interesting because the introduction from Dr. Seward at the beginning of the season was, I'm not your friend. I'm not your mother. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm not anybody that should be, should be taking care of you. I am a person who is a doctor who's going to cure you of your illness and that is it. And I like that they have the scene because it feels like that's a turning point in their relationship because yeah. Dr. Seward wouldn't have had her over for a glass of, of whiskey to talk about their lives. Exactly, you know?
1: and in fairness, she does say, "I'm probably not the person you need to to be with." Mm. And I think the other thing with Mister Lyle is, you know, he has introduced. Vanessa to, um, Dr. Seawood, but he also then introduces her to, um, this new character, yeah. Catriona Hardigan, um, who studies death and, um, is the replacement That's for Mr. Lyle. She, a thematologist. Yes. And a thematologist. And, um, she is the one that goes, he's a predator. He isolates people. He is, he's isolating you mm-hmm. to be with, surround yourself with those you love, which, Then I think that's a really nice kind of look back as well on season one and two with uh, Vanessa and the company of Sir Malcolm, Mr. Lyle, Ethan, Sembene, Victor, and so on. That it it kind of adds almost a nostalgia back to that time, given that she's on, um, on her own. But Katrona Hardigen talks, gives the, the, the lore of Dracula, Mm -hmm. uh, which is dragon in Romanian, the Dracula clan bringing about um the clash of the the ottoman and persian uh, empires and, and the blood uh, and I, I like she she talks about um him being a seducer but it's the ancient form of the meaning of the word which is um to corrupt yes. to lead men astray not from a a sexual point of view. Um, so I, I think this was really good. I love her intro as well with the fencing. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I was trying to think, uh, was there a literary character there that um, the, the writers were drawing from? And the only Hardigan uh, that um, I'm aware is the H.G. Uh, Wells time machine. The 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 inventor there is Alexander Hardigan. Um, oh, in I, the film, that's right. Yeah, yeah. so it could be related to hg wells i think i was more thinking it reminded me of a marvel character eliza bloodstone who's who's very much uh within the mystical uh magical part of the marvel universe so i i know her through the through dr strange and so i it felt like that kind of character Mm -hmm. and i i I like this this character immediately uh that she is fencing and is knocking uh a toff uh and being smart with her fencing, mm-hmm. I she uses her headbutt to uh, take him out, exactly. uh, which was pretty good.
0: Yeah. I love that he says he would be struck off the register, and she's going, well, if I could get on the register, then <laughs> yeah, i exactly. be struck off. Yeah. So it's a
1: great introduction of, of this character. Mm-hmm.
0: Definitely hoping to see a bit more of her, and nice to see that maybe Vanessa can build up some new friendships, uh, since all of the rest of her friends are gone. With everything finished with the storyline of Ethan in...
1: The or US. Is
0: well the question I had after watching the episode was, you know, they're now free of the law men. They're all they're all dead effectively. Ethan's now had his father's dead, so there's nothing left there for him in the estate and Ketney, and Sir Malcolm and Ethan are there in America. I it suddenly crossed my mind I was going, are the two timelines going on at the same time? Like is this attack happening over there as at the same time as everything that's going on with Vanessa? Or is there a possibility that the start of next week's episode the three of them arrive back in London that would be really cool yeah. actually i ju- I just don't know whether they're whether they're months apart or whether there's uh, yeah. they're going to get back quickly. I doubt they're going to be able to go down to the local airport and hop on a plane back to back to London so there's still going to be travel time, but we just don't know what the timeline is like because I don't think there's been a letter from Sir Malcolm to Vanessa since the first episode when it was in Zanzibar, and that's presumably a few months ago
1: yeah exactly but i I think we can assume that they're maintaining that that contact through the written word dare i say it um but yeah the the timelines aren't really that clear um and i think uh i think it would be great for them to be back in london to effectively help her out with i suspect the big showdown that is likely to happen between vanessa and dr alexander sweet because Mm -hmm. In that moment where she's having the conversation with Dr. Seward, um, she, Dr. Seawood effectively gives Vanessa the idea that in, to not be alone, she should try and, um, be with someone who she cares about and so on. And this brings her immediately to Dr. Alexander Sweet. Yeah. Um, it made
0: me think that Dr. Seawood probably wasn't the wor- wasn't the best person to go to ask for help. <laughs> no. And
1: as, as he's doing his night creature exhibition, but dare I say it, uh, we get sweet, sweet, dr sweet sex and <laughs> um, here uh, vanessa uh, and dr sweet um yeah having having sex in the workplace uh, so he could get fired from uh, his position <laughs> maybe, uh, maybe if he's caught by one of the night porters but i was wondering are we going to get another possession here well um I, because every time vanessa's has had sex that mm-hmm. we've seen so far it's led to um a possession a breakdown and so on, and it's, I'm wondering mm. whether this is going to be something here because she is sobbing as well while she does it initially. Yeah. Um, I think, if I remember rightly, so it's the relief afterwards. I think yeah. as, well as she starts to sob. But you're absolutely right; it's that kind of
0: trope of horror movies that uh, John Logan has kind of put the spin on in this show, where you know, the, the character that has sex is the one that's first to die from the monsters, effectively. So what we do know from the conversation uh, with the orderly back in episode four, we. Know vanessa only had sex once before going to the institute which was with mina's husband and that ended her relationship with mina and eventually sent her to the banning institute then we know she had sex with uh, she tried to have sex with the orderly and he he said no obviously because of everything that was going on understandably we know she had sex with dorian and then became possessed by uh, lucifer and now she's having sex with dr sweet who is the vampire dracula effectively yeah. so She's really really not good at choosing partners for it's a Good sex. job he
1: doesn't nibble when he has sex. Absolutely. Uh, must
0: have been uh, just keeping himself lying on the floor still so that he didn't go up and reach for her neck at some point, you know, must have been don't resist don't, don't, don't
1: extend teeth don't take teeth I I was wondering whether that was going to happen because there was a lot of neck showing at one point. So mm-hmm. I, I did wonder whether he would go in for the old uh sort of big sort of neck hickey uh, for uh, for Vanessa. But no, he does restrain himself, which I think is quite interesting. Yeah. And I do yeah. agree
0: with Vanessa's assessment of her life uh, in that conversation back in episode four now, uh, where she said, I should have died a virgin, you know, just like Joan of Arc, who sang while she was burning. <laughs> yeah. I kind of feel like maybe that was the right way to go. Uh, this is, this, these things are not going well, but it does all play into the concept that came from Dracula and from Lucifer, that she must give herself over freely to them in order for them to uh, to take her as their bride,
1: effectively. So, and I uh, presume that's why Dracula is holding back here. Yeah, because exactly. he she is giving herself freely. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, for me, I've just got one more note, uh, and I think Renfield has a really nice oh, line wow, yeah. when uh, he's giving Dracula a bit of intel on um, on Vanessa. He says. You'll not pass me by when you distribute all the fat sweeties. Mm -hmm. Um, Yes, all those lovely fat bloated uh, industrialists uh, and financiers from the Industrial Revolution, all ready to be drained of their blood. And probably that scene features
0: one of my favorite moments this season with Dracula with one kind of movement of his finger, yeah. all the locusts that are the familiars move back from the body that they've all been drinking the blood off to leave it for Renfield. It's such a, an amazing moment how it's all choreographed so well as they all back off. Yeah. With really just that little nice. flick of a finger, just showing how much power Dracula has over all of them. You know, it really, really Yeah, and
1: you, you get the sense here from um Dracula that Renfield is his number two mm-hmm. in, in that sense. That yeah. that you know, um he is integral to what Dracula needs to do here. Absolutely. And he
0: certainly is, definitely. It's uh it's led to Vanessa giving herself over freely as as we see at the end of that scene. Uh, that's it for notes for this episode. We're at the end of our discussion for part seven of our discussions about Petty Dreadful. So we've talked about the middle section of season three. John overall what do you think of the middle section of Season
1: 3? I, I love these um, three episodes. I give uh, this five crazy Justines out of five. Um, Ooh, wow. I, I really, That's really right. enjoyed them. Um, and I, I think um, it was one of the things coming into Season 3, I was, I was concerned was it going to hold up against Season 2 or Season 1, or indeed hold up against my memory. But I couldn't really remember uh, too well how I really felt about this. But I think these... Uh, These three episodes, I I, I think the flashback is great. Um, They've done flashbacks so well in Mm -hmm. uh, this series. And again, it's another inspired one. Um, I I thought the the whole Western element uh, and I just think the connection – uh, between Kaetne, Ethan, Jared, Sir Malcolm, Hecate, all that within this, this chase by, um, by the marshals of Ethan and Hecate it was just really nice. And Brian Cox, you know, comes in for, um, two episodes and delivers an absolute great, great performance. Absolutely. Um, and, and you, you really, um, know about Ethan from, uh, the episodes yeah. and, and here, um, with the Beast Sophia, as you say, you get the red wedding element and the conclusion of, of that. And um, but you, you get so many other elements here, uh, with, um, Vanessa, with, um, Dorian and, and, um, and Lily and, and Victor. And I just thought it was really well done. So that's, for me, it's really been a great middle section, wow. uh, and three episodes. That's, I've really enjoyed them. That's a strong rating, definitely. Um, I've really enjoyed it. There's, uh, it's interesting, isn't it? Because,
0: um, people who've listened for a long time to TV podcast industries know that probably my least favorite genre of film has been comedies. Uh, that Every time we get a comedy, <laughs> uh, there are things that I don't generally enjoy because they could just be a bit too broad for me. Sometimes I have a very weird sense of humor. Uh, the other genre of movies that I really, really dislike are Westerns. They're, it's just something for me because there's just so many stereotypes of Westerns. And having two episodes of this three set in the American West was putting me off slightly. I think because of Hecate being there, having a supernatural character there was probably what made them above and beyond what I thought they were gonna be. Kind of similar to maybe the the uh, from dust till dawn kind yeah. of attitude of having vampires there in, a, in that so. kind of western
1: setting. I think um, so. And also I was gonna say whether having Sir Malcolm having um Inspector Rusk there, mm-hmm. you know, they're not people of that that place and so it gives a completely different perspective yeah. on on it whilst you're there so um yeah i i know i know what you mean and yeah. you hate period dramas as well so i mean you should technically absolutely loathe penny Dreadful. exactly so what i was going to say was john logan has done something
0: for me with this show of all three seasons he's made me like a period drama and a Western combined. So <laughs> so well done, uh, John Logan and the other writers, because this is the other thing we said at the beginning of this series, there's a big elephant in the room with season three, is that it's not worshipped, I suppose, in a way, like the first two seasons were. It's not looked back on very fondly. Right now, six episodes into the nine-episode season, I'm really surprised at that, because it really feels like Penny Dreadful and they're doing some great stuff in here. I wonder if it is just that old adage of everybody got to the end of the season and just wanted more, and that's why they don't look back on season three as being great because everybody wanted more of what we'd seen of these characters. So I'm really interested to see what will happen when we get on to our final part of Penny Dreadful season three and Penny Dreadful rewatch. Yes. We'll be back next time when we talk about Penny Dreadful season three, episode seven, Ebb Tide thanks so much for joining us we'll talk to you next time
1: yeah thank you so much for joining us fellow darklings and nightcomers um we hope you stay subscribed to the podcast please share us rate us share that love for for podcasts and for penny dreadful mm-hmm. and of course if you want to head on over and you can subscribe and support us on our patreon account at patreon.com forward slash tv podcast industries remember i will think of you only when i dance uh i'll have to dance more often fellow darklings mm-hmm. let's go for it. For dancing agent absolutely a rave absolutely see you next time bye and of course just remember keep watching keep listening and of course most definitely keep screaming keep dancing bye bye